Thank you for joining us for this message from More Life Church, where we exist to love God, to love people, and to reach a region for Jesus and to make a difference for generations to come. Now, to learn more about how we're reaching our community and how you can partner with us and learn how God has uniquely designed you, check out Grow Steps on Demand by visiting morelifechurch.com slash growsteps or by downloading our app today. But for now, enjoy today's message. Here we go. Let's get after it. First Chronicles chapter 16. Uh, we are in week four of a message series called Worship More Than a Song. And this is where we get into the more than a song bit. All right? This is where we get into the part that is more than just musical. And um, I want to make sure that we cover this. Today, I want to make sure that you understand something as I start. Um, over the years, I have endeavored to, for almost 18 years now, um, teach from God's word the truth as I understand it and lay a foundation for us to build on. So what I, I wanna say that's very important, whatever you hear today, whatever you hear me say today, remember that it's built on an already established foundation. I'm not changing the foundation, I'm building upon it. So I'm giving you some more tools to use, all right? So when I say some things like God wants your worship, the way he's created you, and when I say there's one God but many relationships with him, don't hear me making some major doctrinal shift, okay? I'm building on a foundation because one of the things that I'm passionate about is using words to convey a spiritual matter, which is no easy assignment. And last weekend, Pastor Larry in April did a wonderful job of doing that for us as a team. If you weren't here, you should listen to it. And if you've never taught with a spouse or a significant other, you don't know how difficult it is. And they did a brilliant job and wanna make sure we honor them for that. And Pastor Larry did a great job the week before, as he always does. But our job is to take um, spiritual matters which are intangible, ethereal, you can't see them, and now you gotta put language to it. And that's a tough assignment. But prayerfully, as I've, I've went through this, um, I think I have some things today from, from God's word that will help us and really set us free in a lot of ways. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29. This has been our foundational text, and here's what God's word says. Give to the Lord the glory. Everybody say glory. The glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. What is worship? Worship is anything that flows out of you that has the intention of honoring God. God wants your worship. Say this out loud with me. Say, God wants my worship. Okay, now, but let me say this to be very clear. God wants your worship but that's connected to how he made you. And how he made you is how he made you, and he didn't mess up. I need someone to hear me say that. When he created you, he didn't make a mistake. He did it the way he wanted to. Now, I wanna make an obvious observation. Some of you, and this is not a judgment, it's an observation. Some of you during the worship time musically you tolerated it, 
and you are waiting for it to get over to get to the next part. That's not a judgment. I'm gonna show you why that is in a moment. There is one God, many relationships and expressions of worship that we're gonna cover today. I'm gonna cover nine spiritual temperaments or ways that we connect with God. I'm gonna cover nine of them. And there's probably more, but a man named Gary Thomas highlighted these nine, and I taught it years ago, and I, and I wanted to bring it back up. So if you're in a spiritual crisis, malaise, depression, maybe you wouldn't use those strong of words. Maybe you would just say, I'm in a spiritual funk. I don't feel like things are hitting on all cylinders. Um, we're gonna get into to, to why that is. If you can't seem to find your way out and you're just stuck spiritually. I wanna help you. Um, but God made you in a certain way. And when you don't know how to nourish yourself spiritually, problems come up and what you end up doing is you end up feeding on spiritual junk food because you're confused about how you should be properly nourished spiritually. Now, I wanna help with that. Now, at the same time, I need you to understand this about me. Pastors and spiritual leaders, we don't heal anyone. We don't change anyone. All I endeavor to do is to bring you and me together and our soul into God's presence remove the confusion, and bring one or two points of clarity that will be an aha moment from God's word to lead you to the truth. See, I can't change you, heal you, or any of that sort of thing. What I can do is highlight and offer a point of clarity so that you can see the truth more clearly than you've ever seen, and then it's the truth that heals, heals you and makes you free. So let's make sure that that is crystal clear. Mark chapter 12 is where I'm going to begin. Mark chapter 12, verse 28 for today. Then one of the scribes came and having heard them together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, this is the religious scholar asking this question, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him and said, the first of all commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. I only have time to focus on one section, and it's when he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and your strength. I'm emphasizing the word your on purpose, because this is each individual worshiper's assignment, and you cannot delegate it to anyone else. Jesus says, Love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, 
your strength. I'm gonna say this again because it's important. God wants your worship according to the way you're made. And that may differ from all the people around you. And I want you to understand that not only is that okay, it's intentional and it's better than okay because God is not looking for a vast number of clones to worship him in a robotic fashion, all in step and in line exactly the same way. He's made us with different interests, different affinities, different minds, different attributes, different strengths. Why? So that we can argue and fuss and fight with each other, right? That's why, so we can live in chaos and disorganization. No, 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 no. He did it, and it has created a lot of disunity in the church. And next week we, we might look at that, but Jesus is addressing what I'm going to call whole person worship. Heart, this will be on screen, your heart is your adoration. Your soul is your will and your desires. Your mind is your belief. And your strength is your body. Whole person worship. This is how you're supposed to love God, with all of these parts of you. So it's, it's gotta look different for everybody because everyone doesn't have your heart. Everyone doesn't have your soul. Everyone doesn't have your mind. Somebody say, thank God for that. And everyone doesn't, everyone doesn't have your body, right? Whole person worship, very personal. Years ago, I preached a message called the pain in my asymptote. It might be a little early yet for math, but I'm gonna give it a run. Asymptote is a mathematical equation. It's the X and Y axis, however the X and the Y are, I don't remember. But the point is, there is a, a, a line that comes down toward the horizontal axis, and it, gra it, it gradually tries to reach that horizontal axis. And it comes in, it will go out for infinity, infinity and never touch that axis. And that equation or mathematical system is called an asymptote. And it's a perfect illustration of spiritual growth and development. Because for as long as you live, as you, whether you're going vertically or horizontally, it's the same both directions. As you grow spiritually, and the assignment is to become into the very image of Christ, a frustration can emerge because you grow ever closer spiritually, but you just never quite get there. Anybody in the room have the feeling in life of just never quite getting there? and feeling frustrated about that. That's what I call the pain in my asymptote. Because you try to get there, you, get, you do your best and you never do it. This is a beautiful picture and a painful picture of the journey of your soul. And I wanna highlight that because if you live with the myth that there is a moment in time when you will become the complete Christian, you are going to live in deep pain. Because the complete Christian does not exist. And every person who has walked this planet has worshiped God in the way that God designed them to worship. Think about this. Let, let, me, give you, let me give you just several. David and Solomon, father and son, 
worship differently. David was a warrior, conqueror, poet. Solomon was a man full of wisdom who built the buildings. David never builds anything, but Solomon does. Both are worshiping God, but in different expressions because they had different assignments, different ways. Think about Mary and Martha, how they worshiped Jesus so differently. Martha was up serving and making the stuff, and Mary was there, sweet as pie, just contemplating Jesus' existence at his feet. And and, and Martha's gotten a bad rap, especially in the church. We've vilified Martha. But I'm gonna tell you something. If Martha's don't show up to church, nothing happens. Like, we need Martha's in the church. Like, it's both and. It's not either or. You know, I've been to churches where just Mary shows up. Nothing happens. If only Mary shows up, nobody runs the camera, the online stream, the, the pro presenter. No one's with your kid. There's nobody's teaching your middle schoolers right now if only the Marys show up. Like we, we need both, right? We, and we need to understand all expressions. Let, let, me, let me jump ahead and, and, and one God, many relationships. Think about Abraham. Everywhere Abraham went, he built altars. Moses and Elijah, they're calling down fire from heaven as activists against their enemies. Um, uh, Ezekiel and John, they're loud, they're seeing visions, and it's full of colors and lights. Mordecai, he's caring for others. We talked about Mary, we talked about Solomon, but just think about all the different ways. And what happens is this, that you'll end up, and I've done it, and I'm breaking out of it for all of our sake. What you'll have is a key leader with a certain spiritual temperament and pull everybody in that direction and continue to make everyone conform to their image of worship when that isn't the goal. The goal is that we're all conformed to the image of Jesus and worship how we are designed to worship. Does that make sense? Have I made the case well enough for different kinds of worship? Can I, can I go on? Because this is really important. That we, that we understand um, that aspect. If you're taking notes, I, I want you to write this down. Beware of narrowing your approach to God. And ask a question. Why should everyone be expected to love God the same way? Let me, make it, let, me, let me make the question more specific and personal. Why should everyone expect it, be expected to worship God the same way as you? If you look throughout the scriptures, and I've looked very hard, especially in the New Testament, if God wanted us to worship in a certain way, with a certain how attached to it, he would have been very clear about that how. But the how is conspicuous by its absence. It's not there. There is a lot of why, but there isn't a lot of how. There's a lot of who, but there's not a lot of how. And so what we've done is we've narrowed our approach to God. Let me illustrate it to you this way. Four days before my 36th birthday, I had a heart attack. 
And as a result of that heart attack in my LAD, my left anterior descending artery, I had a 99% inclusion and a stent was placed there. Interesting side note, it's interesting detail to me, had that inclusion been any higher, Josh would be dead, medically speaking. Because it was just, they would have had, it's a long story, but because of the hospital, I'd be dead. I'd be a goner. Angela would have collected the life insurance and went on with her life and who knows what else would have happened, right? So like, just like, it's a morbid thought, but you just need to do this to bring yourself back down to reality. Uh, We all die. If Jesus tarries is coming, we all die. And they replace you and put an ad in the paper for your position that week. They're not, they're not waiting. Nobody's waiting on you. Just food for thought. So I live, praise the Lord, stent. I'm a massive fan of stents. I believe in them. And this is what we do in the church. Ready? Watch this. Because I have a stent, I think everyone should get one too. Just preemptively get a stent in your widow maker and that'll be good for you. No. If you go to a doctor with abdominal pain, and they recommend a stent in your heart, you better get a second opinion. Here's what we do in the church. If you go to a doctor and they only have one prescription or one idea, that's not trustworthy. That's not healthy. But in the church, we offer one prescription, and it's called quiet time. I'm coming after quiet time. I'm coming after quiet time and devotion time right now. I'm coming after it with both barrels. I'm coming after it. Because we should not apply the same spiritual remedy to every Christian in the same way. A doctor should not offer the same prescription to every patient. And what we've done is we've put everything in this basket historically and generalizing. We've done this. You need a quiet time with the Lord. You need devotions with the Lord. Am I against those things? Um, Maybe. (laughs) Honestly, maybe. If your quiet time is a waste of time and leads to self-condemnation and shame and guilt and it's not getting you there, then yes, I'm against it because it's not getting you closer to God. It's getting you further away. And And someone needs to come to you with enough guts to say, it's not working, do a different prescription. Like if it's not working, it's not working and you have to say that. You had to say that to you. Like, what happens when quiet time collides with reality? Maybe you weren't taught this. uh, uh, Maybe you haven't been taught this that much. But, But my teaching was, you get up early in the morning and you get the victory. And you get in the word and you you get into worship and you pray and it's gotta be 60 minutes. That is not in this book. That's something that has worked for some people, right? Thank you, I, pre- I appreciate that. And we're gonna know why Angel clapped here in just a minute. I'm gonna explain it to you, because um, there's a reason why. But, but what do we do? We go to what that person who had influence, and they said it well, and they convinced you, and so you've been trying it and trying it and trying it, and it's not getting you closer to God, it's getting you further away because it's resulting in all of those unhealthy spiritual residual effects because it's just not the way you were made. Quiet time collided with reality for me when I was a young man. And I was working a job, hanging gutters, had to get up early. We had twins. Pause. If you have babies, 
That destroys the quiet time myth all by itself. I mean, dear Jesus. That person who came up with quiet time did not have infants. Somebody say amen to that. Quiet time meant that I had to be at work at a, let's say I had to leave at 6.30. That means if I'm gonna do quiet time, I've gotta get up at least at five because I gotta wake up for a few minutes, I gotta get dressed, I gotta, I gotta do this stuff. And I was just up at 3.45 feeding Jake, and so I've been asleep for like 15 minutes. I have to get up and pray, and then I fall asleep, and then I feel guilty for falling asleep on God because you fall asleep on God, you might w- wake up dead. I mean, it's a bad, it's a bad deal. One size doesn't fit all. And when those things collide, you have to figure out a different, a diff, a different way. We have temperaments in, in, our, in our life that are forming our emotional decisions in our life. Carl Jung made all kinds of observations about personalities, extrovert, introvert, sensing, intuitive, thinking, feeling, judging, perceiving, But I'm saying that because just like you have a personality that comes out of your mind and your emotions, a temperament, you have a spiritual temperament as well. And regardless of your predominant spiritual temperament, all of us can learn a great deal of seeing them all. Here we go. I'm gonna give you all nine. Number one, in no particular order, These came from Gary Thomas. They are not unique to me. I mentioned that a few moments ago, but I want to make sure to give credit where credit is due and honor where honor is due. Um, I found these to be absolutely helpful and true in my life to observe and to understand. Nine spiritual temperaments. Number one is he called, this is his language, a naturalist. I want you to look and see these on screen and see which one you are. A naturalist is an individual who's loving God outdoors. My wife... I don't want to tell all of her secrets, but, but I think this is one of my wife's or my wife's leading spiritual temperament is loving God outdoors. We were just on vacation and we were on the Gulf side of Florida and we would watch the sunset when the, when the weather allowed. And, and this happens all the time. I, I, all the time when we see something majestic and beautiful in nature, whether it's a mountain or a stream or a sunset, my wife will turn to me. She said it a bunch of times over our marriage. I can't even calculate it in all the 25 years. She'll look at me and she'll say, how does somebody look at this and not believe there's a God? How can somebody see such a majestic thing and think that nothing started all this? She's expressing a spiritual temperament that she loves God out of doors. Now listen, there's a difference between loving creation and loving the creator. And I'm saying that she loves the creator by what she sees in creation. Big difference. Remember, we're building on a foundation. We're not, we're not starting a whole new one. The second one is sensates. Um, sensates worship God with their senses. They feel. There has to be something that they touch on the outside of them. When we sang the song and, and the bridge came up day and night, night and day, let incense arise, a sensate's gonna literally burn incense and smell because they wanna engage all of their senses. That's how they express their worship and adoration to God. I would think in the past, that's weird. 
sage, incense. Come on, let's be real. Incense is what you burn when you're trying to hide pot from your parents. And I'm not that I smoke pot, but I'm just saying like in the old days, like you smell incense, that's what you're, come on, it's real religious in this 11 a.m. service. I just think it's weird, it's like it's a strange. But watch, if we're not careful, we'll judge how another person connects with God and we'll do them a disservice. What's the goal today? The goal is to help you get closer to God and show you over these next few weeks, we're gonna unpack and look at all of these nine more detailed, in a more detailed way, so you can see them. Traditionalists. They worship through ritual, symbols, sacraments, and sacrifice. Ascetics, they love God in solitude and simplicity. Activists, this one's very interesting to me. Can't wait to cover this with you in depth. They love God through confrontation. Caregivers, they love God by loving others and specifically physical needs that are going on in their life. Enthusiasts, they love God with mystery and celebration. Remember I told you, I was gonna explain to you why Angel clapped a few minutes ago? Because she's an enthusiast and something engaged her soul and she had to celebrate in some way that was out, out, external, outside of herself. The ones who lead the cheering in the worship service and the amening, those are the enthusiasts. Contemplatives, loving God through adoration and quiet. We gave you Mary as an example. We probably have a lot of contemplatives in here today. You're contemplating maybe what's being heard and said. Intellectuals, you love God with your mind. The intellectuals are the ones when the preacher says, how many of you will give me five more minutes? They're the ones that say, I'll give you five more minutes because they love God with their mind. They want to hear more. They want to learn more. But the naturalists are like, can someone hit the intellectual because I want to get out of doors and go hug a tree or something, right? These are all beautiful, but when we don't see them as valid worship expressions, we end up judging and creating small thinking about how people worship God. And I wanna broaden that thought for you. If from the very beginning of the church age, and next week as we start looking at, I think three or so at a time, um, I'll, t I'll show you a little bit of brief church history that's very interesting. If from the very beginning of the church age, as soon as the New Testament begins, if from that beginning God doesn't mandate the how of individual worship, Paul has some things to say about corporate worship in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, but if the New Testament doesn't say much about how we worship, then why do we? Why do we? It doesn't mean that the how isn't important. What it means is that what I hope you take away is that God is offering us freedom to explore our relationship with God based on how we are designed. Now, here's, here's the application. Desire and discipline are often at odds with one another. 
So going through the quiet time illustration, I left those moments because I didn't engage in quiet time as was defined to me to engage in it. I left those moments as if I was an undisciplined person. If I, and so I just beat the discipline drum. If I just had more discipline, I could get more focused and I could, and I could, get, I could, get, I could get better at this. That's not how it works. Here's how it works. Focus increases discipline. And focus is attached to desire. And desire is back to the text. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your desires. Now listen, I, I wanna make sure that someone doesn't hear me say something that I'm not saying. I'm making an assumption, which is dangerous, I understand, but I need to do it for the sake of this conversation and for the sake of time, we'll be here all day. I'm making the assumption that your desires are centered on God. Or things that are of God. I found this. When I have a desire to do something, I get focused on that thing to do it, and the discipline comes automatically. I, 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 can give you, I can give you an example. I don't know, something changed in me after 25 years of marriage. It was like something switched, and now I have this deep desire for honey-do lists. Yeah, isn't that weird? Like I woke up the morning after we celebrated 25 years and I'm like, I need a list of things to do around the house because I wanna help around here. First 25 years, I didn't give a flying flip. Now all of a sudden, I'm like, I wanna do, like, I wanna do something. And, and I went to Angela, I'm like, I need a list. And she like froze. So I made my own list. I got up really early on my day off and started going through the list. There was a desire. The desire led to focus. Discipline wasn't the issue. It was desire being attached to focus. Are you with me? And so here's what I'm saying. The issue in your worship and adoration for God isn't discipline. It's desire not being attached to focus and focus not being attached to desire. Think about it. I happen to think through this with Larry in exercise. If this is wrong, tell me, but in your past life, not reincarnation, but before this, right? Would you say this statement is true? I'll be honest. The more the person enjoys the workout, the more consistent they'll be. Some people live for free weights. Free weights in the morning, free weights in the afternoon, free weights when the sun goes down. Their life revolves around free weights. They wake up, they dream about free weights, and they can't wait to get to the gym. Why? Because it's desire. Watch, I'm helping you, I'm helping you. Because everybody in this room has desire, but what you've been taught is your desire is bad and your desire is evil, and that's wrong. It's been given to you by God. It's your soul. It's your will. 
It's your desire. You desire to be outdoors because that's the way God created you. You desire to do this thing because that's the way God has created you. Don't buy the religious lie that discipline comes first. There is a time for discipline and there is a time where you'll do things that you don't love. I'm not saying that you get to do everything that you just wanna do. What I'm saying is as you're approaching God, find what your soul is drawn to and begin to live a life of worship out of that desire and delight. It is the willing and the obedient, Isaiah said, who get the good of the land. What's that mean? God wants you to want to. And I, need some, I need really somebody to hear that, that God wants you to want to do it. Let me say it to you this way. If you're not getting anything out of it, don't assume God is. Don't assume God's getting anything out of it. Someone's like, well, this is just spiritual self absorption and spiritual selfishness. No, it isn't. It's awakening your heart and your soul to how God designed you to love, to worship, but you've just been told it's in the quiet time box or it's in the 11 a.m. service box or it's during the first three songs that we sing when there's a whole bunch of it. One God, many expressions of worship to him. If God wanted it one way, every way, then why after Abraham came and Abraham built altars, why didn't he tell, why didn't he tell Moses and Aaron and David and Joshua and Joseph, hey, build altars like, like Abraham did. Everywhere you go, build altars, build altars, build altars. No, he didn't do that. Different expressions of worship to please God. God wants your worship, but he wants it in alignment with how you're created. 